if you'll, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 2 with me. Luke chapter 2. Um, Pastor Mark, uh, he did the second week of Advent uh, last, last time, uh, last week. And um, we're actually, you know, I know it's after Christmas, but we're doing a post-Christmas Advent message. Um, and Advent, you know, Advent, as we discussed in the first week of Advent, Ad- Advent means the coming of something, the anticipation of the coming of, or, of a person or an institution. And, and I, I really do feel like in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, um, the, the passage that we're going to be reading, I, I really do believe it's, it's crucial to the entirety of the Christmas message. Uh, because uh, this, this, this passage, it, it's kind of the, the culmination and the fulfillment of, of Christ's birth. Because in the Jewish tradition, you weren't like a legitimate person, um, in the Jewish faith, uh, until you were circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, you were a person, obviously, you were a human being, um, but you weren't considered brought into the people of God until you were circumcised on the eighth day. And this is, this is that time, um, for Jesus when he's brought into the people of God and we see the priests, um, laying hands on him here. And so, uh, if you'll go to Luke chapter 2, verse 22, right here, and we'll read together, 22 through 35. Now, when the days of her purification, that being Mary, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken to him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we we are grateful to you, Lord. God, we're, we're grateful, as Justin prayed earlier, that, that you have given us your word in those times of silence. God, we're, we're, we're not quite sure what your, uh, what your guiding hand is, is telling us to do, God, and when we're not sure if our situations are matching with your will. God, when we're not sir, uh, sure whether our stress is merited or not, whether the busyness and the craziness of life, whether it should be this way or if it's, there's something better out there for us, when, when we're just not quite sure where we're supposed to be in life. God, thank you so much that you've given us your word. God, in such a sensitive time for, for the Jewish people, God, where they've been anxiously awaiting your Messiah for 400 years. Lord, we can relate to Simeon in the sense that 
Lord, may we never find true rest until we hear from you. May we never truly find rest until we have found you, Jesus. And so I pray for the restless and and wandering souls in here, Lord, that we would be able to find safe harbor in your presence, Lord. And so, Father, uh, anoint this night. Make it precious to us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said before, guys, this is, this is a point of eight days after the birth of Jesus, right? So, this is eight days after the birth of Jesus. Each male child was to be circumcised after the eighth day. Um, but, and this is actually, guys, not many people know this. This is actually before the wise men came to give gifts to Jesus, well, we, we don't really realize that. We think that uh, the wise men, they came like while Jesus was still in the manger, right? While Jesus was still amongst the donkeys and the cows and the goats and all of those things. We think that the wise men came like right after the shepherds. They didn't. They actually didn't come till Jesus was about a toddler. And, and, and so this is actually a point in time before, this is after the, uh, the shepherds had come and visited Christ. This is after his birth in the manger, right? But this is before the wise men had come and, and, uh, and, and worshiped at Jesus' feet. And this is before Joseph was told to uh, take Jesus and Mary and flee to Egypt because uh, Jesus was in trouble, right? Because Herod was going to kill him. And, and, and so we, we, we know that this is actually a point in time directly after the birth of Jesus. And this ought to be looked at. And I, I really don't think this story is looked at often enough. It really shows, it shows a lot about the context in which Jesus was brought up in. There's a lot of hidden messages in this. Because what we see here is that they brought a pair of turtle doves or they brought a couple birds to be sacrificed as purification for Mary and Jesus, Right? We actually know about this, that this actually meant that Mary and Joseph were very poor. Because what was a custom back then was to bring in lambs. But all they could afford was birds. We see, we see that Jesus, he, he didn't only have a humble beginning. All right, it was kind of a fluke. He grew up in a manger, right? Like he, uh, he, uh, he was born in a manger. It wasn't just a fluke. He actually, they actually were very poor. Right, And we see that Jesus grew up in this humble beginning. He grew up in humility. He grew up working for a living. That's something that Pastor Mark really loves to like hit home, right? Jesus worked really hard. He didn't have everything handed to him. In the midst of this, in the midst of, of Mary and Joseph doing their best to try to keep up with the law, because, because Jesus, was, he did grow up in obedience to all of the Old Testament. Yes, we know that Jesus came to fulfill the law, but we have to, we have to understand, Jesus kept all of it. Jesus kept all of the Old Testament, every single word of it, he kept, Right? And he came to fulfill it. Now, we are not bound under the entirety of the law. However, we do need to have a respect and reverence for it in the sense that our Savior did. He did grow up in this. And his parents raised him in that way. And, and, and to kind of take, take a step back, to, to, you know, talking about humility really quick. You know, talking about humility, the fact that the Savior, the, 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 the Savior of the universe, the Creator God, who created the heavens and the earth, He humbled Himself towards the point where He had to have His diapers changed. You guys think about that? You guys think about the Creator of the universe having His diapers changed by the, those He created, 
right? You got, you have to think about this, this type of humility for God. We talk about him coming into the filth of the world. Do we really realize that he subjected himself to all, all, all that we went through? Yes, he went through puberty for us, right? Yes, he died on a cross, but the Lord of the universe went through puberty for us too, right? He subjected himself, didn't have to, but subjected himself to stuff like that. I, I, I want you guys to write, I, I say these weird and awkward details because uh, one thing that God's really been showing me lately is he's been, he's been trying to pound something into my brain that I, I, I think even as a preacher, I miss this. This actually happened, right? That doesn't always sink in for me, you know? When you read stories in the Bible, it's really nice because we're so used to getting lessons from it right? That sometimes we treat the Bible as just one gigantic metaphor for life, right? We treat the Bible like one gigantic metaphor for life, but we need to realize something. This actually happened. And it, and it happening has an incredible effect on our lives, right? The fact that Jesus humbled himself in this way, the fact that he kept the entirety of the law, right? All of these things, they play a crucial part. And in the midst of all of this, in the, in the midst of, of Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to be dedicated at the temple in Jerusalem, this random man comes swooping in, right, and takes baby Jesus and starts singing and starts praising, right? Can you imagine that too? Imagine how awkward and how weird that must have been, right? You moms in the room, just a man in the temple, you know, just coming up, taking baby Jesus and singing and spinning him around and dancing, right? And it wouldn't have been entirely weird because Simeon was a well-known figure in Jerusalem at this time. Simeon was a well-known figure amongst this. It says that he was a just and devout man. He was one of those that were waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning they were waiting for the Messiah to come. He was one of the few people that refused, refused to just say, well, I guess this is it, right? This is as good as it's going to get. I really do think that nations rise and fall depending on the amount of people that are, that are willing to say, no, there's something better out there. We don't have to settle, right? God has given us promises. And I'm going to eagerly be praying and awaiting those promises. Simeon was a, a, a part of a minority of people that were eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel. He was awaiting the Savior, and there's also this fact that we need to understand too. Simeon was not allowed to die until he met the Messiah. God told him, you are not allowed to pass from this earth until you experience Christ. And that should be a comfort, right? That should be a comfort that, that, God, that God tells Simeon, listen, listen, you, your life, your mortality is in my hands, Right? And if I want something to be fulfilled in your life, it's going to happen. Right? If I want something to be done in your life, I will make it happen. This is a very comforting thing for me. In the midst of tragedy and in the midst of triumph. A very comforting fact. And, and so, so God tells Simeon, hey, listen, you're not going to be passing away until you meet the Messiah. Think about this for a second, though. I want you to think about this. This is the temple in Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem. This is the holy city in which Jews from all different nations would come together into this temple to pay tribute and to bring their children to be blessed. And so I want you to picture hundreds and thousands of people passing each week in and out of this temple. Hundreds, maybe thousands of children coming in each week to be dedicated at this temple, right? So, so you got to picture that too. Simeon is eagerly awaiting the Messiah, the child that is going to be born in Bethlehem. And he's, he's eagerly awaiting. And he has to watch thousands of children pass by. Each day he watches as, as, as parents bring their child in to be blessed by the Lord. So he is watching countless, countless and countless of children be passing through this temple. And then Jesus comes. And Simeon knows immediately. Simeon knows. He knows. How does he know? It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Listen, listen. If you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within you, and this is a very practical thing that I really, I, I desire that we all take on because I think it's, it's starting to become lost in my life. Is that when you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within you, you know Jesus when you see him. When you have the spirit of Christ dwelling within you, you know Christ when you see him. Simeon looked at Jesus and immediately knew he was the Messiah. He looked upon him and said, that is him. And that raises the question that some people may ask, well, how did Simeon really know? You know, how did Simeon really know? Was it, was it a lucky guess? Did he hear rumors? It sounds silly for him that the presence of God is, is just so a, absolutely out of thousands of babies, he can pick out the one because it even says in Isaiah that, that Jesus wasn't, it, he wasn't glowing, right? He, he, he wasn't glowing. He didn't have tons of robes and he didn't have a posse following him. He didn't have thousands of people following him at this point, right? He didn't have the weird, awkward halos, right? That, that are portrayed in all of the pictures. He didn't have that. He, he was just like anybody else. And so with thousands of children coming in through in the time span of Simeon's life, who knows how many years he's been waiting? How did he know this one was Jesus? That this one was Christ? How did he know that this child was the one he had been waiting for for thousands of years? I mean, the Israel's been waiting, not him, thousands of years. That would suck, right? How did he really know that Christ was present in this child? It says, so he came by the spirit into the temple. I want you guys to notice that. It says right here, it says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, everyone go there. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Simeon came prepared. Simeon came into the temple prepared. It says that he came by the Spirit. He came 
already aware of the presence of God and what that feels like. He came already aware. He came expecting. He came knowing. He came with a devotion to God already. He came by the Spirit. He allowed himself outside of the temple to be sensitive to what the Lord was doing in his life. He allowed himself to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit was saying, what the Holy Spirit was doing, how he was moving. So when Jesus was actually there in the room, there was no mistaking it. There was no mistaking it. We learned three things about Simeon, that he was just, that he was devout, and that he knew how to wait. Oh, that that would be true about our lives. Because do you know what? Maybe not you. But me, maybe not you, but me, I, I have this tendency to want to know exactly what God wants, exactly when I want it, right? I want to know exactly what God wants, exactly what he wants to tell me, ex- his exact plan for my life. And I, I'm not willing to wait for it. I want to know it now when it's convenient for me. But, but Simeon, will, Simeon will actually teach us something about his description and how he's described that he was a just Man, he was just, meaning he understood right from wrong. He lived a life that wasn't, it didn't cheat anybody. It means he wasn't trying to get ahead in life. How many times do we want to know the will of God simply because we want to get ahead in life? How many times do we kind of attach God to our version of the American dream, right? That, it, that it's all about us getting our dream, what we desire, what we want. We want to get ahead of other people. And we use God as a tool to do so. And so when it says Simeon was a just man, it means that he was willing to sacrifice his will for God's will. He knew what God wanted. He was willing to submit to that. Guys, God's not going to tell you anything if, if you're going to construe any answer he gives you in scripture for your own personal gain, right? You're expecting to hear from God, but what are your intentions? What's the heart behind it? Because my heart behind wanting to hear God's voice sometimes is that I want to hear his voice before my peers hear his voice. I want to get ahead of the game, right? He says that he was devout, means that he gave his time and his resources to the things of God. Meaning that even when he didn't feel like it, he would go to the temple. When he didn't really feel like it, he would give of his resources. When he didn't really feel like it, he would delve into the scriptures. He built character, right? Simeon had a character of devotion to God. That's another thing. I, I, I another thing. I, I am so. I'm such an. Enti- you're going to be learning a lot about how sinful I am tonight, right? I, I, I am such an entitled person. I'm such an entitled person that I believe God's plan for my life is ultimately to give me glory, right? I believe that God's plan for my life is ultimately to make me comfortable, right? To make me a wealthy, not too wealthy, right? Because I still want to be kind of humble, right? Not too wealthy, but wealthy enough to where I can always have what I want, right? 
I, 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 I honestly, I will, I will, I will warp my mind into my, in my prayers and my actions and my devotion to God will be centered around building myself up. But the devotion to God, devotion to God is doing the right thing, is pursuing him even when it has no, no benefit to you. When it has no gain for your own life at the very moment but to just simply draw closer to God. Devotion is what you devotion is how you act regularly towards God even when it doesn't seem to have any consequences on your own life. Am I diving into his scripture? Am I trying to be with him? Even when I feel like, you know what? I, I really don't need any comfort from God right now, right? Devotion. He was devoted to God. He was devoted to God. And then it's, and it says that he waited a really long time. He knew how to wait, right? He knew how to wait. And I, I, I think that's another thing I struggle with, guys, is that I want to I be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to know what the Holy Spirit has for my life and what he wants for me. But oftentimes, I'm, 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 I'm so focused on, on right here, right now, exactly what I need, right when I need it, that if God's not going to provide it right away, I'll just do it myself, you know? Instead of, instead of fasting and praying and, and seeking the Lord and his best for me, I'll, I'll settle for right now and subpar, right? And instead of having excellent in God's will later, I'll settle for mediocre now, right? And so it, 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 I, I, Simeon, he had developed this patience with the Lord, knowing that one day the Messiah will come. I will keep coming. I will keep going into the temple. I will keep blessing children, right? Simeon kept going even, even when the immediate answer did not come. I bet this got annoying over the years, right? Because kind of the, the tone of the story doesn't say Simeon waited for like a couple months, right? It, 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 God's like, I, I'm not going to let you die until you see Christ. So listen, this could have been, this could have been four years. This could have been 40 years, right? This could have been 80 years, 90 even, until Simeon was allowed to finally rest. And that's a lot of waiting. And Simeon was willing to do it because he knew God's best was better than anything he could have settled for. He waited eagerly in devotion for God's absolute best. God's absolute best. Guys, sometimes God's best doesn't look the way we want it to look. Do you understand that? Do you understand that God's outside of our culture, you know? Like not outside of our culture, like he's not in the culture, like doing things and working. But, but I, I, I'm saying our culture right now, how we live in this century, right? In 2015 slash 16 in a few days, right? In this culture, how it is now, do you understand that a hundred years from now, when everything we are doing now is going to be gone and lame, that God's still going to be around? You guys realize everything that's trendy right now, everything that's being talked about in politics right now, that that will all fade away. And I think sometimes we, 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 we think, oh, there's no, you know, how could God do this? How can God do that? Right? Using our standards of culture to gauge God, right? 
using our standards of how culture's working to gauge whether God's real or not, or he's working or not. You guys realize that God is timeless and ageless, meaning he's not going to conform to like one specific little dot in time. That, that there's ways we've grown up and there's ways of thinking that we've developed that as right as we think we are may not be God, right? We have to realize that. We have to realize that just, just because we've grown up to think something's right doesn't mean that's right because talk to somebody 50 years from now or 50 years ago, right? They, they, they would totally disagree with you. But the word of God remains true, right? The word of God remains true. And I, 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 I say all of this to say, because if we're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we have to realize that God and his word is the standard and our devotion to him alone is what's going to help us be sensitive to what God wants and his will. Because I'll tell you this, I'll tell you something. I have been into a few churches that many people would walk into and be like, oh, this is weird, right? I, I, I have walked into churches and Bible studies where immediately, where I, I know a lot of people from my generation and generations after me, they, they would go in and be like, oh, this is lame, right? This is super lame. I mean, the music's not really doing it for me, right? I don't know, kind of the atmosphere isn't really, ah, the, the preacher was kind of boring, you know? Where we walk in and we're kind of just like, I don't think the Lord is in here. I don't think the Lord's called me here, right? I, 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 I've been into places like those that many of you might consider lame and stupid, and I would too. That God is working so powerfully through them. So powerfully. On the, uh, on the opposite side of that spectrum, I have been to mega churches where young people come in droves. Where thousands and thousands of people flock to these churches so incredibly stoked on everything that's happening. They love the preacher and what he's saying really speaks to their heart. Oh, the worship, you know, it's, it's emotional and really speaks to me. I like the atmosphere, right? There's a lot of people of like mine. They're all dressed the same, right? They're up with the trends. They're hip. Right? I have been to those churches where I listen and I observe and the Spirit of God is absent. Totally absent. So we have to make sure that the way we judge and the way we look at the Spirit of God and how He moves, we're not looking at it through the lens of our own preconceived notions. That we're looking at it through what is just, what is right, what does God say? Our devotion to him, are we, are we practicing learning his voice? And are we willing to wait? Do we have to be gratified immediately? I think that's a really big call for you guys and, and, and me as well, that we can't just look at something and if it immediately doesn't taste well, that doesn't mean God's not in it. We have to be willing to say, do you know what? Let's take my bias aside. Where's the Holy Spirit in this? What's he saying? Because you'll go to places that thousands of people will agree with, but guess what? The Holy Spirit is totally against it. Guys, I have, I, and, and do you know what? I, I combat this a lot. I combat this with, guys, I can't tell you, when, 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 I'm at, when I'm at school, right, at Channel Islands, when I'm at school and I'm telling people, you know, about Christ and stuff, they're like, oh, I'm a Christian too. And then they'll give me the preachers that they listen to, right? And I'll listen to them, I'm, Oh, poor, poor brother or sister. 
What, what have you gotten yourself into? Following those types of preachers, those types of teachers, it, it comes from a heart of not understanding the Holy Spirit and how he speaks. Right? That the Holy Spirit will never say anything that contradicts his word. Right? So I want to separate really quick feeling and words from the Spirit. Right? Because we could get feelings, right? Right? I've had plenty of feelings. I've had a lot of people say that they feel like they should do something, right? Right? Listen to your heart. What does your heart say? Your heart usually tells you to sin, right? <laughs> what does your heart say? Your heart usually says what's good for you is good for everybody, right? That's not true. And, 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 and so it's not necessarily listening to your feelings and listening to your heart. It's, it's so much greater than that. It is, saying, it is saying, Lord, your Holy Spirit dwells within me. I don't want to discern this. Christ, through your lens and your character, how can I discern whether you are here or not? That is listening to the Holy Spirit. That, that's when the, the gifts of the Spirit are used, Right? Guys, do you know what something that I, I and something I, I've never really done before that I got to do a few weeks ago? I got to prophesy over someone, right? I got to prophesy over some guys. Like I'm a pastor, and I never do that, right? I never, I never go up to someone and say, "Do you know what? The Lord has a specific prophecy for you." right? Never do that. But do you know what? When we were praying, I'm praying like, Lord, give me, a, give me a word of prophecy. And he's like, you know this verse right here? I'm like, yeah. He's like, give it to her and interpret it. I'm like, okay. That's how the Holy Spirit works, guys. The Holy Spirit is going to take the word of God and he's going to take your specific situation and he's going to speak into it, right? So when Jesus is around, you know, Right? When Jesus is around, you know, you know, you ought to know. And so when Jesus arrived, Simeon knew, and he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And he said this, he said in verse 29, go to verse 29. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon looks upon Jesus and speaks to the Lord. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? And it is my like, desire that this would be the way I pray. I, I, I wish this is the way I prayed all the time. And this ought to be the pattern of my life. I, if I was in the spirit, looking at the face of Jesus and speaking to the father, right? Isn't that a great way to pray? In the spirit, in the spirit of God, beholding the face and the character of Christ and imploring upon the father to reconcile the two. Oh man, may that be the way we pray. And that's the way Simeon praises the Lord. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon is like, now I get to die, right? Simeon looks upon Jesus and he says, I can die in peace, right? I could die in peace. But he doesn't just say that, guys. He says something cool. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. You're letting him depart. In the Greek... The word depart in peace here is used to describe, it's a very unique word right here, depart. 
In the original language, in the original Greek, it was used to describe a ship that was untied and let out to sea. It was also used for an animal that has been working and working and working, and it's finally gotten its yoke off. It, it, it's finally, it's burden and its job has been done, right? That's the word where it means to depart means, here, your burden is off you, right? And, and, and it, it's so telling and it's, it actually prophesies what Jesus would later on say in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Simeon was the first, first to experience Jesus's easiness, his yoke, his freedom that Jesus has to offer. Simeon was the first to experience that. In the post-Christmas season, guys, as Christmas is unwinding and as we're getting ready for New Year's and we've been working our butts off. Some of you have been working overtime to afford gifts, right? Some of you have been working really hard so you could get vacation days. You've been doing all these things. We've been super busy trying to get to this family or that family, trying to get to hang out with these friends and go to this Christmas party. And this, we've been doing all of these things. And I just pray that at the post-Christmas season, After Christmas, we would just have the same heart as Simeon. Oh man, just this easiness, this, this, like, like I'm a ship that has been in a harbor for too long and now I I get to set my sails and just relax in the open sea, right? Isaiah prophesied Christ's coming and Jesus would later describe this as himself in Luke chapter four. He said, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To set the captives free. Jesus came so that we all, like Simeon, would be able to depart in peace. We would be able to enter into rest, not just in the next life, but in this life too. Simeon says here, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Listen, listen guys. Pastor Mark went over last week that that salvation doesn't mean into eternal life, right? Salvation is usually being vindicated from enemies, right? For being released from enemies, being released, right? That we are being protected. That's salvation. The Lord is my salvation. That we are being protected. Salvation means that. And, and, and guys, that's what Christ has come to do. Protect us and shelter us and save us from our burdens. To release us, Right? to set us free as Simeon was. In verse 31, he says, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. It's available to everybody. Available to absolutely everybody. And it says here, guys, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. 
Simeon, you know, I think it's really easy to take this line and interpret it, oh, Christ is going to be responsible for the fall and the rise of many people, right? Nations will fall, right? Christ's nation will rise. People will be destroyed and other people will thrive, right? This kind of capitalistic mindset, right? Of, of, of those who don't join Christ, they'll die, right? And those who do, they will rise, right? I think it's really easy to interpret it that way. But as I was doing time with the Lord, I, I, I got a different interpretation. I'm not saying that the other one is wrong, but here, here's what I get from this. In Luke 9, it says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does the fall and the rising of people mean? I think it means people dying to themselves and being risen again with Christ. Risen again with Christ. Where where, where Christ didn't come to, all right, you're going to fall, you're going to rise. You're going to succeed, you're not going to succeed. But in a sense that we will die, we will fall. And then we will be lifted up with Christ. The baptism. Identifying with his death and his resurrection. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been untied with him in the death like this, we shall certainly be untied with him in the resurrection like this. The mark of a mature Christian, and I'll close with this. The mark of a mature Christian is not how well he or she knows the Bible or how much he or she is able to do or or what their daily routine is. As Justin and I were praying out there before this service, that Mary, Mary, who was uneducated and about 13 to 16 years old, knew more about Christ than we ever will, you know? Uneducated. Uneducated, young. Really no merits. That she was able to know Christ in the way that she did because as we spoke in the first week she offered herself up to be overpowered and overshadowed by the spirit of God what is the mark of a mature Christian the mark of a mature Christian is are they willing to die to themselves are they willing to fall and rise with Christ not just rise with him but also fall with him not just identify with his resurrection but identify with his death as well The mark of a mature Christian isn't are we willing to live this affluent life of nothing but blessings with Christ, but are we also willing to die to ourselves? Are we willing to die, die in a season that is so focused on materialism and getting and getting and getting? How much are we giving? Uh, Dr. D.W. Ekstrand, in his book, Dying to Self, he says this, the world's philosophy says live for self. But God's word says, die to self. 
Many people came to Jesus and asked to be his disciples, but most of them turned away because they were not willing to give themselves to Christ. So many men willing to make a name for themselves, fewer willing to replace their name with Christ's. So many people, so many people loving to celebrate this new life, right? This new life of Christ. Oh, baby Jesus being, being born into the world and royalty coming to visit him and shepherds. So even the lowly and the rich are coming to him. This is great, right? We all love to celebrate Christ's birth and we also love to celebrate his resurrection on Easter, But so seldom do we celebrate that death as well. The death, right? That we really want to live with Christ. We want to live, but do we die to ourselves? And and for those of you that don't know what what I'm trying to get here, and dying to yourself means willing to sacrifice your desires so that Christ's desires may replace yours. Have we spent so long focusing on ourselves that we're unable to say Christ not my will but your will be done right and for a sign which will be spoken against yes a sword will pierce through your own soul also and the thoughts of hearts of many will be revealed Simeon said to Mary Mary yes you are blessed among women but he looked at Mary in the eye and he said your soul will be pierced You know who suffered on the cross? You know who suffered on Christ's death? Yeah, Christ suffered, but think about Mary, right? When you think about Mary for a second, watching her son being crucified, spit upon, beaten. Think about Mary, her soul being pierced in that sense. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. After this blessing that Simeon gave, Christ would live a life of revealing the hearts of men and women. Our post-Christmas message is that we live in a new generation. We live in a generation that is, has, has, been, has grown up with things being sold to them, right? right? Since, since the beginning, uh, since we entered in this world, we have been sold things commercials, after advertising, everywhere. We are surrounded by marketing. We are surrounded by people trying to get us to buy into something, right? To buy into lies. They're telling us stories in order for us to believe that we need to live this certain type of life. And what has come out of that, guys, is this generation, if you haven't noticed already, I'll, I'll fill you in. We, we have this generation arising that is desperate for authenticity, It is a generation that isn't interested in flashiness. It isn't interested in being sold things. It's interested in a lifestyle that's genuine. A lifestyle that's authentic. You see big businesses being replaced for local things, right? Authenticity. You see things that have been manufactured in tons of of plants and machines. You see people going back to wanting things that are handcrafted, hand-designed. We're coming back to this place where we we have been sold so many things that we just want authenticity. And I think that this is a perfect time. This is a perfect time in our world right now, in our country, for us to come in and not try to sell Jesus to anybody, but be authentic in front of people. 
willing to die to ourselves, willing to die in a sense that we don't need to look good in front of anybody. We're willing to die to our own self-image and, and puffing ourselves up. We're willing to die to that fact in order to relate to people on an authentic level and say, you're messed up and so am I. Let's follow Jesus together. In him, in him only is rest. I'm not trying to sell you it. Come and find out for yourself. That this wasn't a story, story manufactured in order to make money off of anything. This is, this is something that God has done for your soul and it is authentic. That Jesus has come to reveal the wickedness in our hearts, but not just the wickedness, but the utter desire to have an authentic relationship with our creator. So I'm going to ask Justin to come back up and we're going to worship. And, and guys, I, I, I think that needs to be our prayer tonight. Our, our, our prayer tonight ought to be authenticity. God, will you, will you give me authenticity? God, will you give me this genuine relationship, this, this relationship that isn't manufactured out of some desire to look good in front of people, Right? A relationship that isn't, it's not manufactured out of this desire to, to go rise above, right? But a, a devotion and a justness and a willingness to wait that is authentic and true. I think that needs to be the outcry of our hearts as we worship, as we take communion. I think that needs to be the prayer tonight. That's something I think we all need to pray is that the Lord will... Will my relationship with you not be something that's manufactured in the lab, you know? Not this standard template of holiness. But can, but can I find authenticity in your presence? Can I find genuineness in your presence? Can you speak to my heart individually? Can you strip away what my culture has told me? And can I just come face to face with your will and your word and your Holy Spirit so that when I see something, I can tell whether you're in it or you're not in it. For those of you in transition period in your life, this is what you need. You need authenticity. You need a relationship with Jesus that is authentic. That way, when you look at this new situation you're in, you're not going to judge it based on what people have told you. You're not going to judge it based on what you think is right, but you're going to judge it purely on what Christ says is true. For those of you that are stuck in a rut in your life, you're going to be able to find out that maybe some of the institutions that you've given yourself to or the habits that you found yourself in are actually something that your culture has impressed upon you, not the word of God. And so for some of you, you're going to create and develop new habits. And for some of you, you're going to be getting rid of old habits. But tonight, let, let, let's God speak to our own individual hearts and what that means. And if that means you need to open up your Bible and read a little bit more, if that means you just need to bow down and, and ask God, if that means you need to sing for the first time in your life in an actually authentic manner, then do that tonight. This is a night of intimacy. Night of intimacy with our God. Amen? Lord, I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would... You're already here. I don't have to ask you, Holy Spirit, to be here. I don't, I don't have to ask you to be here. Holy Spirit, I, I, I pray, though, that you would enter in and you would pierce our souls. That you would help us die to ourselves. Lord, that we would be people of an authentic relationship with you. 
That we would forsake counterfeit gods. Our culture tells us to live for ourselves. It hasn't gotten us very far. I pray that we die to ourselves and let you live in us. So Lord, create in us a newness. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.